This is an ABC podcast. Hey ladies, as a warning, this episode contains some sexual references. You know how sex ed in school doesn't actually prepare you for real life sex? Well, I made a quick sex education quiz to find out how much people really know. Can you draw an anatomical penis? <laughs> okay. It's like the shaft. Size is all a bit off, but then there's the, the testicles. Why did I sign up for this? <laughs> well, I mean, what state does the penis have to be? Whatever state you want. <laughs> An anatomical penis, what's yeah. that? The scrotum. You ready? That's the balls? Yeah. What do you reckon? Awesome. Looks all right, huh? Yeah. Not bad. Can you draw the organ that is the clitoris? You ready? Yeah. Okay. Done. How's that? I don't know where our pen's gone. Is it blown off? Oh, here. It's like... Ah, uh, how do I even... There's, there's a bunch... There's like a whole... There's a bunch of like random layers and then it's got a little jacket around it. This is going to sound bad. I'm a woman, but the skin bits there, I don't know what they are. Yep. It's like a hole there that you bang with. There's like a pee thing there and then that's a clip. Am I right? That's what it looks like. Oh, I didn't do a very good job, did I? <laughs> it's kind of sad to know more about penis than do about a vagina. Wait, so where's the clitoris? I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, it's time we got clitorate. In this episode, we're going to cover everything you didn't know you didn't know about the clitoris. Because every person we spoke to on the street had no idea what the clitoris actually looked like. So let's start there. If you can, please do me a favour and Google the words anatomy of the clitoris and take a second to digest what you see. Here's some thinking music. It's not actually the easiest thing to describe, so I'll tell you what I see. It looks like a penguin with its little flippers out, but instead of a round tummy, there are two tummies or bulbs hanging down like balls. And if you're thinking, oh my God, I don't have a double tummy flappy penguin living in my underpants, what's wrong with me? Don't worry. It's because out of all that, all that you can actually see of the penguin is just the penguin's nose, which in the interest of being anatomically correct is actually its bill. But I digress. The attachment of the clitoris goes along the pubic bone for as long as nine centimetres. You know, it takes a bit of kind of getting your head around something that is tiny when you think that's the whole of the structure, that actually it does extend sort of into your body. You know, the bulbs are just amazingly impressive parts of this organ and most people don't even know they exist. That's Dr Helen O'Connell, Australia's first female urologist. She's a bit of a clitoris superhero. Helen was the first person in the whole wide world to ever fully map the clitoris, which, get this, didn't happen until 1998. 
1998. The clitoris lives at the junction of the labia minora, which are the inner lips of the vulva just above our urethra. And there are four basic parts to it. The body, two crura, two bulbs, and the glands, which is the only part of the clitoris you can see. I actually don't think that people thought much about (laughs) down there. So the sort of level of disengagement when it came to anything sort of in the pelvis as though, you know, someone else did truly own it was just much more common. Yeah, thought around that area, which was your question, eh, not much. So back in 1998, the year that the Spice Girls were first touring Australia, the world was reading the second Harry Potter book and Google was being formed, Dr Helen O'Connell was changing the world's anatomy books. But even now, her work hasn't really hit the mainstream and plenty of people are still living in the dark. We are not in a post-clitoris world yet. Even if you're getting really extraordinarily comprehensive sex education, you might see the little nub at the top of the vulva. That's Emily Nagorski, a self-confessed sex nerd. She's been a sex educator for 25 years, and her book, Come As You Are, is all about the science of women's sexuality. The more we can make friends with our clitoris and welcome it precisely as it is, the more it's going to bring pleasure and joy into our lives. Emily loves talking about the clitoris now, but back in school, she says the clitoris was completely absent from sex education. It just doesn't matter that much from a reproductive point of view. Women's sexual pleasure doesn't really play a role in either male sexual pleasure or in reproduction. So why even bother talking about it? The Latin name for the female genital package is the pudendum, which derives from the Latin word that means to make ashamed. The entire package of female genitals, not just the clitoris by itself, but the whole thing, is named after the idea that women should and do feel ashamed of their bodies. The idea for this comes from this misperception that women's genitals are tucked underneath their bodies in a way that male genitals do not appear to be. And why would they be tucked away like that? It's because God wanted women to be ashamed of their sexuality. (laughs) What do you think, Emily, is the result of all this erasure of the clitoris? Oh, oh. I will tell you a story. I got a tweet from a woman who read my book and she was watching her adult brother change his baby daughter's diaper. And when she was all clean and ready for her new diaper, the brother went to go get the diaper. And when he came back, his daughter was lying on the table, touching her own genitals. And dad goes, "Uh uh-uh, don't touch that. She's not going to remember this moment, this little girl, but what is she learning in that moment? It's that her body doesn't quite belong to her to touch and do with as she pleases. There is a certain part of her body that is a source of disgust and horror, 
And that one moment will accumulate with countless other similar moments until by the time she gets to adolescence, she couldn't articulate why, but somehow or other, she's barely aware of her genitals. She certainly doesn't feel like she could or should be touching her genitals. Now contrast that with a different story I heard from a therapist. She came up to me and told me about when her daughter was two years old playing on a bouncy ball. And so little girl says, mommy, this feels really good. (laughs) And mom says, yes, honey, that's your clitoris. And the little girl is like rolling around on the ball and says, my clitoris is my favorite. (laughs) So that's an entirely different narrative. She's learning a completely different relationship with her own body. And she's actually going to be safer in her adolescence and adulthood, because she knows that her body belongs to her, it's capable of experiencing pleasure. She knows what pleasure feels like. So when her partner asks her, do you like that? She's going to know the answer. If you've been told that those sensations are a source of shame and guilt and disgust, that part of your body doesn't even belong to you. When your partner says, do you like that? You're barely aware of the sensations that are coming from that part of your body, much less whether they're pleasurable or not. How is a parent meant to act in this situation? Because I do find in that my partner is, he just is a, a little bit squeamish and he's so scared of saying the wrong thing that he'll often handball genital talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know. Handballing is a funny word to use. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. So if your child is touching her clitoris, and wants to talk about it. How can we get there when we've got a whole bunch of inherited inhibitions, perhaps? The single most important thing a parent can do in supporting a child is to work through their own emotional crap that they have absorbed from their culture. When I was maybe 11 years old, I was in the car with my mom And I think I had read the word vagina at the library. We were driving home from the library and I said, hey, mom, what's a vagina? And I do not remember any of the words that she said, but I remember the huge flash of embarrassment and freak out that happened in her body. So whatever this vagina thing was, it was definitely something I should never talk about again and is something to hide and feel worried about. So when I got home, I looked it up in the medical encyclopedia in the house And I knew what it was, and my mom had taught me how to feel about it. So the most important thing is not the words that come out of your mouth, but the way you emotionally react. So learn to respond to genital words and situations involving genitals in the same way you respond to anything involving any of your child's body parts, her nose and her elbows and her toes. We are so excited when kids discover their feet. Little babies find their feet. Did you find your feet? Oh, you're so cute. What if we could feel the same way when they discover their genitals? Did you find your clitoris? Oh, that's so cute. Noticing the emotional reaction is the most important part. The word clitoris itself comes from the ancient Greek word meaning little hill. But in your book, Come As You Are, you describe it as the grand central station of erotic sensation. Can you explain what you mean by that? So the clitoris, as you know now, is enormous. It is enormously sensitive. It is, for most people who have one, their primary source of erotic sensation. It's the hokey pokey. It's what it's all about. Right. Two turntables and a microphone is where it's at. (laughs) It is the primary source. As opposed to the vagina, for example, there's almost no nerve endings beyond the outer third of the vagina. There just isn't sensation that happens up there. 
Okay, what about this? So I remember this conversation I had with a very close friend when we were, we were out of high school, we'd finished and we got drunk and somehow we got talking about masturbation. She said she has never masturbated. So her clitoris was basically like a stranger living in her underpants. Let's assume that the people who are listening to this are, you know, that kind of age, they're, they're adult women and they might be unacquainted with their own clitoris. How can we make friends with it? Oh, step number one is absolutely going to visit her. Get yourself a little hand mirror, take off your clothes and go look at your vulva. Everyone's ultimate source of wisdom about their own sexuality is their own body. That's so beautiful. Okay, so can we advance it? So don't start with your hands. Start with your imagination. Just say hello to your genitals from your brain. Think about them. Breathe deep down into your genitals and feel what that feels like. And then you find your clitoris with your hands. If you've already looked at it, you know broadly where it is, but now feel where it is. You might notice a sort of rubbery kind of cord feeling thing underneath the skin right at the top where the labia divide. You can press down and feel the whole length of your clitoris. These are sensations that won't necessarily feel super pleasurable and super erotic, but right now you're just making friends with your clitoris. You're saying hello, you're feeling what the whole shape and size of it is right now, knowing that it's good going to change as you become increasingly aroused. And that's another thing to begin noticing. Can you overdo stimulation on the clitoris? It's possible in the short term. To, so for example, if you're using a vibrator that's like vibrating really fast and hard and you put it right against the clitoris, you can temporarily burn out the nerve endings in the same way that you could on any part of your body. If you vibration stimulated it for a long time at a high intensity, but that goes away in 20 minutes or so. Emily, do we know why the clitoris exists in our bodies? The nerdy answer is biological homology. Uh, homology, basically it means same origin and the homologue of the clitoris is the penis. Nobody ever asks why we have penises. So if you understand why we have penises, just know that all of our bodies are made of the same parts, just organized in different ways. Some bodies have penises and some bodies have clitorises. So it's kind of the same raw material sculpted into two different things. Absolutely. You know how the clitoris kind of looks like a happy penguin? If you look up a picture of the anatomical penis, it looks super similar to the penguin kind of like its freaky cousin. And they do actually have a relationship. During the formation of an embryo, when egg meets sperm, the clitoris and the penis come from the same group of cells. Wild, right? But ours is kind of better because if you've ever met your clitoris, you'll know how sensitive it is. And that's down to the fact that the clitoris has such a dense nerve supply, making it supremely sensitive to pressure and vibration. It also means there's a lot of blood flow down there, so when we're aroused, the whole clitoral organ can swell up to three times its size. You know what else? The visible part of our clitoris, the little nub at the top of the vulva, comes in all different shapes and sizes. Some are hidden under the clitoral hood and some stick out. So I'm feeling a bit more clitorate right now. 
I know that the nub you see on the outside is just the tip of the iceberg or the bill of the whole penguin. And I'm starting to see why we often associate our clitoris with shame. This shame from somewhere that I'd done something wrong or that something was forbidden, but also this sense of like this new strength that I had. And I didn't understand that either. And I didn't understand what it was related to. This is Tessa Waters. When she was a kid, her clitoris wasn't something she spoke much about, but as an adult, she talks about the clit all the time. She's part of a cabaret troupe called The Fringe Wives Club, and the show they've made is called Glittery Clittery. We made it because we wanted to learn more about our bodies. We had had lots of, you know, late night festival bar conversations around feminism and around, oh my God, did you know that you could do this? And have you heard this? And oh my God, did you know the clitoris is actually huge? And we wanted to make a show that through pop bangers and hilarious entertainment got some really key education across to a really wide range of audiences. I would say every night that we do it, we have conversations with women and men about I didn't know it was there. I've always called it this. I've never even said it out loud. I feel like I'm allowed to be angry. I feel like I'm allowed to ask for pleasure. And they're all sort of singing and dancing as they go out. (laughs) All right, Tessa, we've got someone who's quite special to you who's listening to this interview. Yeah. It's Tessa's mum, Claire. Hi. Hello. Hi. (laughs) If it's all right, I want to start asking you what it's like to hear your daughter talk about her clitoris, about receiving pleasure and generally kind of having a good time. How, How does that sit with you? I've learned a lot for a start. <laughs> Christmas is going to be really good this year, Mum. And I, I'll have to look under the house because I think that pointed star cushion might be in a box under the house. <laughs> but I, I have to tell you both that I think this is a, probably the first time that I've ever said the word clitoris and orgasm in public <laughs> in my life. Wow, okay. Yes, and um, right. I'm 70, so it's been a long time coming, but I'm proud right. that she asked me to come along and talk. What is it like hearing her say that she didn't know about the clitoris growing up? I must admit, when I first saw her show about three years ago, apart from my husband and I looking at one another and, you know, our jaws dropping and saying, how did we not know that? <laughs> we both felt a bit sad that we didn't have the information ourselves to you know, tell her. And I was brought up in a Catholic convent. So talking about sex or let alone the clitoris and orgasm was very private. So you had this idea that God was always watching, always listening, and that certainly in my teenage years, masturbation was a sin. So when you brought up in silence, you have no language for your body um, apart from the external arms, legs, eyes and nose. You don't have any language for your bottom. Everything was just your bottom down there. <laughs> really? Every, everything was your bottom? <laughs> everything was just your bottom. You didn't know that there were different parts. So it was, it was very confusing and, and I think, you know, it leaves you open to abuse and embarrassment and humiliation and mistakes and you get into situations where you really, before you know it, you have no idea what you're doing really. Can you tell us about what you created after you saw Tessa's show? The night I went actually um, came home and my husband will tell you I was was a bit obsessed and possessed for about three months, you know, (laughs) because as a teacher I thought, you know, this is really terrible that we've still got the wrong information in sex education 
and uh, we haven't sort of addressed this issue. You ended up drawing a 17-page pamphlet <laughs> with watercolour illustrations yes. of anatomical diagrams of male and female anatomy. Yes. It's super amazing. Claire, oh, you've seen it. Yeah, I've got it in front of me in my oh, hands. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Can you please read the two sentences on the cover? Well, I called the pamphlet Private Parts. I said it was in celebration of accurate female anatomy and freedom of information, a pamphlet for my daughter in admiration of her own search for the truth. That is so cool. <laughs> do you get emotional when you think about that? I do because I felt, you know, even calling it private parts, it's sort of like it's just that idea of it being covered up in private. And uh, I think we're in, in the middle of a revolution really and I think Dr Helen O'Connell's work, The Anatomy of Sex, is really a major shift. I could not have written a better segue myself. Dr Helen O'Connell, the urologist you heard from earlier, actually inspired 67-year-old Claire's pamphlet or zine. Helen's also inspired a heap of performers, artists, scientists and sex researchers around the world. Because before Helen, the anatomy books treated the clitoris as all of these separate parts and it's Helen's work that connected them together. Going back to the beginning here, thinking about Clitoris 101, when Helen was trained to be a surgeon about 30 years ago, her textbooks had less than one paragraph on the clitoris. Not joking, one paragraph. She says preserving a man's erectile function was a high priority in surgeries involving the penis. It was like, you can't cut there because he won't be able to feel anything later. But when it came to women, no one knew enough about our anatomy to even consider preserving female sexual function. So that's what Helen wanted to do. And the way to do it was assemble a medical team, 10 cadavers, and the goal of mapping the nerves in the clitoris. Yeah, so we would work on one cadaver at a time and it would take literally hundreds of hours to get to the point where you had kind of looked at this particular cadaver every which way you could possibly think of to get the greatest knowledge. It's almost like an archaeological dig and you're the, <laughs> you're the boss of it and you're kind of very carefully, very respectfully kind of unearthing this information which is there but it needs to be told. Eventually you mapped the clitoris. Did you have any struggles to be believed when you presented this research? Were people like, nah, no way? Oddly enough, maybe we preempted that type of possibility and did not let that happen. So it was irrefutable, if you like. We had the dissections, we had photographs, we had pretty soon afterwards MRIs. So it was no longer subject to someone's diagrammatic representation, which could be argued against. How did you feel personally? Like, obviously, it's a slow, slow process to get to this point, but did you kind of hit a moment where you realised this is going to rewrite anatomy books? I kind of felt that I had to just keep on being true to what the findings were. I found myself on a journey that I didn't dream or expect. To be perfectly honest, in 1998, 
I was having a baby. <laughs> I was running a medical practice. I was busy beyond belief. So I didn't really have much brain space to think of the how this was all going to pan out from a impact standpoint. And, I, you know, it is very exciting if I've helped people understand their bodies. That is, you know, very personally fulfilling. Yeah, so Helen's pretty understated about, you know, mapping one of the funnest parts of our bodies. It was kind of just like any other day at work for her. But how freaking cool is it that a woman from Melbourne changed the way we saw the clitoris? She was a pioneer. And cabaret performer Tessa Waters reckons we can all be pioneers. Your body is your own and you can explore it and it's really awesome. And there's these really cool things that it can do that will make you feel super powerful that you can do and no one else can to yourself and to just go out there and discover and to read and read and read and watch and watch and watch and just ask questions and discover. Just be like a Dora the Explorer of your own clitoris. (laughs) Backpack, backpack. This is how Emily Nagoski, the sex educator, says we changed the clitoris taboo. The way we can conquer learned fears or learned disgust is by letting ourselves connect with that thing that we are afraid of or disgusted by. We look at our body parts and we look online at other body parts because clitorises come in so many different shapes and sizes and they are all healthy and normal. As long as they're not in pain, they are healthy and normal. So looking at them, having conversations like this about them, learning to view them without that fear and instead just have be like, this is normal. Here's a clitoris, it's normal. Here's a different clitoris. It is also a normal part of life. Remember, ladies, as always, if you are feeling weird down there for any reason, like you're itchy or sore, just head to the doctor and have a chat about it. We asked a gyno about a few things that could go wrong with the clitoris or where you might notice a change, and there's a few things. During perimenopause or actual menopause, the vulval area can atrophy, which is a fancy way of saying the cells degenerate, and this can include the covering of the clitoris. So I guess it kind of ages. Piercings, sex toys or rough sex can sometimes injure the clitoris. Chronic thrush is something to look out for too. What a pleasure that is. That can affect the clitoris and be the cause of vulval pain. But listen, whether it's your clitoris or your bum hole, trust me, doctors have seen it all, okay? So don't be afraid to go if you feel weird. Now that I've said that, I think I've said it all. (laughs) You can find Ladies We Need To Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Jane Curtis. Supervising producer is Cassandra Steeth. And our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon. And hey, just adding on here, if you've enjoyed this episode, please go back to our whole back catalogue of Ladies We Need to Talk. This is our fourth season and there is some seriously good stuff on there. Also, 
Like, what the hell have you been doing with your life if you haven't listened to every episode? Seriously, you should go back and have a listen to the one we did in the first season, which took a deep dive into our lady parts, answering questions like, what's the difference between your vulva and your vagina, and why do we interchange things that are clearly very different? Do you know what your cervix feels like? Can you actually lose something inside your vagina? Because I've lost my sunglasses, so if they're there, can I have them back? Ladies, it is time for the sex ed lesson that we missed out on as teens. Check it out. It's called You Say Vulva, I Say Vagina.